1: election college episode 64 the election of 1968 richard nixon is back and johnson steps aside let's throw a political party face it the political scene sucks but did it always it's time for election college and class is in session Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Ben, that was a crazy landslide that LBJ won in 1964. I mean, you'd think that things are
0: looking pretty good for him in 1968, right? Yeah, I mean, if if you're the one who wins the largest popular vote uh, in election history... You're probably gonna do pretty good in the next election, and so that makes sense. So, uh, the moral of this episode is Lyndon Johnson wins again. We're done,
1: <laughs> or maybe not. Right? I mean, Johnson was known for a lot of things. Um, <laughs> you could you could have a a very rosy view of his presidency, right? He mm-hmm. had this whole thing about going to war on poverty and the great society. He uh, had a lot of civil right legislation passed during his administration. He really continues uh, Kennedy's fight to go to the moon. And yet there are a couple of things that Johnson is also known for. He's also no- noted for being the president during a lot of the rioting that was going on in the streets because of uh, the civil rights issues and um just that not actually being lived out very well uh also
0: um
1: well vietnam
0: yeah we've got the we've got the vietnam war arguably one of the most controversial wars that the states have been in a few recently of course are pretty controversial but you've got the the counterculture happening of of the hippies. You've got a lot of activism happening on the left. You've got the Black Power movement coming out, like Jason was saying, with uh, the civil rights legislation not being really carried out and people still feeling devalued and undervalued, of course. And then you've also got everything else happening. You've got kind of this weird state of things as the older generation... Is losing power and they're trying to grasp it desperately. And the younger generation is taking it by storm, taking it by force. So a lot of a lot of things are happening here in between 1964 and 1968 specifically. Yeah, and 1968
1: particularly was a huge quick transition because the Vietnam War was actually going our way, if you want to say our as Americans. It was going quite well, but then in early January, the Chinese start helping out Vietnam, and they launch a huge initiative called the TED Offensive. And I think a lot of us have heard about the TED Offensive, but how do we sum it up quickly, Ben?
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, (laughs) I don't know that we can sum it up quickly.
1: Needless to say, things look like they're going well. For the Americans and the South Vietnamese, but the, the Vietnamese communists in the North just start going crazy and attack the South. And the war shifts and Johnson wants to send more troops, namely draft people who are in the draft. So service people who didn't necessarily want to be in the service, they were shipped off to Vietnam and fought in a war that just wasn't going
0: our way or the administration's way at all. Right. And this, I mean, this causes a lot of unrest, a lot more than we'd already been having in the U.S. with people being against the war. Uh, We start seeing soldiers when they come home being really ridiculed and attacked, and we see the you know college campuses all over the country really rising up, having riots, or at least um, at the very least demonstrations of some sort. The uh, The president wasn't even allowed to go anywhere without really heavy, heavy secret service, and a lot of times he wasn't allowed to go to those campuses in general. We also have this same year, the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr which of course is the you know the, the civil rights leader of the time and that didn't do anything good at all for race relations and um, keeping people from from being upset and demonstrating more so obviously. And so yeah, things are just not not going great. the public figures are being ridiculed, soldiers are being ridiculed. everyone else is feeling ridiculed even if they're being ridiculed or not, it's just a bad time in America.
1: Yeah. And a lot of times, at least in this era and and prior to, the political forces and government in general wasn't that quick to adjust with the times. But what happened here is you have President Johnson, he's doing his thing, seems like it's going to be a no brainer that he's going to win the Democratic nomination. And here comes a guy named Eugene McCarthy. And so Senator Eugene McCarthy, he's from Minnesota. He's the first Democrat to be like, "Um, hey, Johnson, I'm going to run against you.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so if you remember, Johnson served out uh, only a year of JFK's four-year term. And then he got his own term as well. And then things go sour for him and for the country at large. And like Jason said, McCarthy comes in and kind of starts building momentum. Uh, He, nobody else had really run, wanted to run against Johnson. And as soon as McCarthy threw, threw his hat in the ring, everybody else was like, Oh, me too. (laughs) (laughs) Right.
1: So it is interesting because it's 1968. And we are just now in New Hampshire. So the New Hampshire primary comes along. And I mean, now you're preparing for New Hampshire a year ahead of time, right? Uh I mean, immediately after a presidential election, the campaign for the next four years kind of gets going. So this is not the case. You only have one opponent, one viable opponent at this time with McCarthy versus Johnson and McCarthy just throws in all kinds of resources into winning New Hampshire.
0: Yeah. And he really gets a good boost because he knows that if he doesn't win New Hampshire, he's probably not going to win anything else. So he just throws everything he has, uh, which isn't a lot, but he throws everything he has at New Hampshire, just hoping to get that, that vote. And he, he does a good job. I mean, he, He's got all sorts of young college students on his side. Um, they're, you know, they're rallying for him. They're making uh, changes in their appearance for him in order to support him. They take up his cause too, and they go out. They're they're one of the first kind of uh, really active campaigns by people who are not directly related to the. Well, I say active campaigns, guerrilla campaigns, I guess you could say, right? Um, by people who are not directly related to the to the person who's running and it just goes swimmingly for him
1: right so mccarthy ends up winning 42 percent of the new hampshire primary johnson gets 49 percent, but it's not just oh yay johnson won the primary mccarthy really is legit and you've got robert kennedy and he's like hmm I really hate Johnson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I'm going to enter this thing. And keep in mind that this is only March the 12th, right? Uh-huh. So by the time March 31st rolls around, LBJ goes on TV. And he's like, America's sons, they're, they're off fighting in Vietnam. Uh, there's a lot of turmoil here on the home front. I want peace. And it just doesn't seem right that here I am, the leader of this country with so many things going on. I'm not going to run anymore. I shall not seek and I will not accept the nomination of my party for another term as your president.
0: And behind all this, whether or not it was the main reason, uh, Johnson is not doing well health-wise. He's kind of concerned he won't survive another term. Um, He'd had a heart attack back about 10 years, 13 years previous, and um, he actually did pass away on January 22nd, 1973, which is um, two days after the new president takes office after the next term. So uh, had he been president, all the additional stress and things like that may have caused him to die sooner. So he probably made the right decision for his for himself at that point and for the nation.
1: Yeah, it's just crazy how that decision shocked the country and really this is it's not the first time the media as we know has played a role in presidential politics. Uh-huh. And especially in the primary and so on, but what Johnson was seeing was the tide was turning against him. And there are some historians who would say that, well, it was a noble thing that he did. Others, like you said, Ben, about the the reputation, he was just trying to preserve himself. But when it comes down to it, when Walter Cronkite says, mm. I don't think it's a good idea to vote for LBJ, LBJ just says, I, if I've lost Cronkite, I've lost middle America and i'm not going to win this election.
0: So, peace, i'm out. Yeah. Think about how hard that would be. You're the president. Yeah. <laughs> you're done. Like you don't even you don't even decide to take the chance and run again for another term. You're just you got the most prestigious job in America and you're just done. Yeah, and you got the most
1: prestigious job in America by a landslide, by winning by the biggest margin ever. Yeah. Crazy.
0: Yep. Yeah. So this really unifies the Democratic Party, right, Jason?
1: <laughs> unified and, and like if you were to take a, a watermelon and throw it off the Empire State Building, uh-huh. like it would just be, it it wouldn't be fractured at
0: all, right? No, it would be totally fine. <laughs> well, the Democratic Party didn't go quite that far. We've got four major factions that come out of Johnson resigning or at least saying he wouldn't run again for another office. And the first one is pretty much labor unions, big city bo- bosses. Uh, you've got people who have been controlling the Democratic Party since, well, forever, a long time. And they're scared they're going to lose control over the party. You know, Johnson withdraws. And who do we go for? What do we do? Um, they actually go for Hubert Humphrey, who was Johnson's vice president. And, um, you know, in in fairness, Johnson was probably supporting Humphrey as well, even though he claimed to be neutral, which is what you're supposed to do. But, uh, yeah, the, the first faction is those big city bosses.
1: Yeah. And then you've got the people who rallied behind Senator Eugene McCarthy. And these people were college students, you know, your intellectual types, your upper middle class white
0: people. Uh, really, the people who were against the war. Yeah, you've also got a whole group of Catholic people, uh, Roman Catholic people. You've got um, black people and other minorities. You've got anti-war groups. And these guys all come back and back Robert F. Kennedy. And uh, RFK is JFK's brother. And I always think it must have been so weird. Uh, You ever know somebody, Jason, or, or maybe you know... You meet somebody who looks and sounds and acts very, very similar to another person you know. And it could even be a sibling. And it's hard for you to, I don't know, after a while sometimes for me, it's hard for me to distinguish one person from another. Right. Yeah. Um, I can imagine the country very much rem- remembered and saw in Robert F. Kennedy, his brother.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And then you had um, the fourth group. And they were... These white Southern Democrats, and these this was the older group, so they were like uh, the New Deal people who really, I, I keep on thinking of that you know song, "Song of the South." You know that group that was like, "You'll never get a rich man to vote like that," and they was talking about FDR, and and so these people were those who uh, were very much behind George C. Wallace um th- those who decided not to go with Wallace who decided to stay in the party they were supporting uh Hubert H Humphrey
0: right yeah and Wallace being a contender here really comes into play a little bit later but we'll get there uh but Wallace is a good name to remember right so
1: vietnam really has an impact on the democrats because you've got Johnson who is really he's the guy responsible, uh, whether you like him or not, he's responsible for sending more troops into Vietnam and continuing the fight. Uh, you could say that he is the reason. You could say that he's not the reason. But the fact of the matter is there's there's a lot of things going on in Vietnam. Uh, another dynamic, then, to consider with Johnson is that He's thinking, before he steps aside, he's thinking, you know what? Nixon might be a good president. <laughs> he's he's against communism. Right. And it, it seems as if there's this divided mind that he has about who he really wants to get behind. Is, is he going to get behind his man, Humphrey? Or is he just going to kind of go off into the sunset? It, it's a, a strange dynamic with Johnson and perhaps this is something that we can cover later just a, a very contradictory um th- there there were a lot of contradictions going on in his mind and and I don't know if that was a political uh motivation or if it really was that his heart was divided and uh whether it's race or whether it's uh who's he going to support to be the president who is he going to support when it comes to the war Uh, With LBJ, it's a mixed legacy. Yeah, it definitely
0: is. And uh, moving forward, we've got Humphrey, who we just uh, just sees he wants to announce his candidacy. He comes out of the woodwork, uh, not really out of the woodwork, I guess, but he's the vice president. So uh, he's been hiding out for a couple of years. He comes out and announces his candidacy. And then uh, Robert Kennedy actually is successful in four big state primaries, Indiana Nebraska, South Dakota and California. And then McCarthy gets six of them. Uh, And this, um, this is good for everybody involved, except that in campaigns where they campaign directly against each other. So like they were both fighting for equal territory. Uh, Kennedy won three of those primaries and um, Humphrey, Humphrey didn't compete in the primaries at all. (laughs) (laughs) So it really is a divided country.
1: It's a divided party. So on June fourth, Kennedy beats McCarthy in California by the slimmest of margins. It's forty-six to forty-two percent. McCarthy's like, No, I'm gonna I'm gonna hang in there. And Kennedy is shot shortly after midnight on June the fifth.
0: Yeah, so Kennedy had just given his victory speech in Los Angeles, and um, they're getting ready to go, and Kennedy and five other people were shot by Sirhan Sirhan. And uh, Sirhan Sirhan was a Christian Palestinian guy who hated Kennedy because he supported Israel. And so Sirhan admits, yeah, it was me. Uh, He gets convicted of murder, and today, as of 2016, February 2016, he is still in prison, um, you know, there's been a lot of why he is still in prison and, uh, debates on whether or not he should be in prison. Um, he's been told that he's told people he was brainwashed and he was a patsy for someone else. But what we do know is that Sirhan, Sirhan definitely shot Robert F. Kennedy. Yeah.
1: It's crazy. Cause just recently he was up for parole and just strange.
0: Yeah, Definitely.
1: So the 1968 Democratic National Convention, which happened in Chicago, was a crazy affair, and it's worth noting that there's only been one Chicago convention since 1968, and that was in 1996 when Clinton, um, Bill Clinton, was um, renominated. So, not a huge controversy in 1996 with clinton's renomination as a democratic candidate uh as the incumbent um and it was for this reason because do we say hell broke out i mean i think it's fair everything happened in the 1968 convention you had anti-war protesters um, battling in front of a national audience the chicago police which chicago Mayor Daley, one of the key players in the democratic party, uh, rocks are being thrown. Um, there's accusations of police brutality. It really looks like the police are being brutal because depending how you feel about it, bottles, right. rocks, glass, they're all being thrown, um, at the officers. And, uh, you've got the race issues that are going on and, uh, you got fires breaking out it's just madness
0: inside the uh, convention they're like okay we need to do something quick and uh let's make this fast humphrey you're the, the vice president nominee um <laughs> boom <laughs> we're sure you're going to have it okay cool yeah. <laughs> and now we need to get a vice president how about oh who's this guy he's musky yeah let's let's pick musky yeah, he's an environmentalist from Maine. Okay, let's let's
1: do this. <laughs> so So there's a lot more that could be said. I mean, there is just a lot more that can be said. Um they were even considering nominating Nelson Rockefeller, the Republican, as the VP just to try to garner more support, but um yeah. That's who you Absolutely. need to know. Humphrey and Muskie. Yep. So Ben, are you ready to talk about the Republicans?
0: I sure am. Let's start off with the primaries. That's where we always start off, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not as crazy because, and
1: and pardon me, if you're a Republican, um, we're not going to talk as much and as long about you because Richard Nixon is pretty much your guy from the
0: get-go. Mm-hmm. The, yeah Nixon had been working behind the scenes and helping out getting people in Congress, getting Republicans and important seats and everything and there's this kind of ugh, about Nixon <laughs> like <laughs> do we do we want him like he almost lost or he did lose in nineteen sixty and then and then he wanted to be the Governor of California, but he lost that too. Do we have anybody else who could, we could, we can be sure will win?
1: Yeah, that's a very good question. And the person who emerges is the governor of Michigan, George W. Romney. And Romney never – it just wasn't close. Uh, Nixon on the national platform was so much more high profile than Romney. And Romney um, said something stupid. (laughs) He he was going to run as the anti-war Republican version uh, of Eugene McCarthy. He's kind of like McCarthy's counterpart uh, for the Republicans. And Romney says that he was brainwashed while visiting uh, Vietnam in support of the war. And he comes back to America and he's like, oh, no, I was brainwashed. So support faded pretty quickly for him. Yeah. And uh, he's he's off the stage.
0: If that uh, name, Romney, sounds familiar, yes, uh, that is the father of Mitt Romney, which we'll talk about in a few decades here. Uh. He,
1: right. <laughs> so it's kind of funny because you do have, I mean, we just mentioned uh, George, uh, uh, not George, Prescott Bush, who was um, George H.W. Bush's father, was uh, recently mentioned. And um,
0: hey, Ben. Yeah. Look
1: who shows up in this election. Ronald Reagan.
0: Yeah, Reagan. Um, he's the governor in California at the time. And, you know, the conservatives like him. The Republican conservatives really like him. And he's kind of stepping up to Nixon a little bit. in the uh, In the Nebraska primary, Nixon won still handily 70%, but then we get about 21% for Reagan. And this is pretty big considering how big Nixon is at the time.
1: Yeah. So you really have a hodgepodge of names from the past in that you have that very much World War II, post-World War II um, grouping of people like Nixon. You've got uh, Rockefeller mentioned. Uh, You even had some write-in votes on the Republican side for RFK, um, believe it or not. Um, But then you've got these new politicians uh, on the rise, which Reagan was older than (laughs) than a lot of these guys, but he uh, was busy acting in that immediate um, post-World War II era. So the 1968 Republican National Convention opens up there on the beach. I would much rather have my convention in Miami beach, wouldn't you? Oh yeah. Chicago. Oh yeah, definitely. So they're all happy and Nixon looks like he's going to win but Reagan and Rockefeller unite, which is kind of funny because Rockefeller was more of a, a liberal Republican as opposed to Reagan's conservative. Um, they're like, we just need to stop
0: Nixon. Yeah, anything we can do uh, to stop Nixon, let's do that. So Goldwater had done pretty well in the Deep South, and um, they, they had some some delegates that were going to go to the convention from the South who were way more conservative than in past years. And they're pretty sure, like, if we get the right people in here, Ronald Reagan's going to get nominated. Like, there's... If nobody is the clear winner on the first ballot, they'll flip it around on everybody. However, Nixon ended up getting the nomination on the first ballot, and uh, he had actually... Remember Strom Thurmond? We heard about him a little while back. Uh, He kind of switched parties back in 1964, and they kind of work together to flip the election around or flip the nomination around. So in the end we have Richard Nixon as the Republican candidate.
1: Yeah. So in effort to unify the party, um, Nixon selects Spiro Agnew as his VP. Uh, Agnew was the governor of Maryland and he thought that, uh, okay, this Kind of levels <laughs> levels out Nixon yeah. uh a bit because Nixon is just known as being uh, hey i'm I'm kind of militant against communism and i'm gonna I'm gonna take care of business and I've got a strong personality and i'm pretty um well let's just put it this way i've got a strong personality, and Agnew is a, a
0: little more moderate. Right, yeah. So Agnew comes forward. He's the vice presidential nominee after the was the first vote. Yeah, the first ballot, he gets an overwhelming majority of support, and so you have Nixon and Agnew running for president in nineteen sixty eight.
1: Yeah, and then you have George Wallace, who we alluded to earlier, or actually we just flat out mentioned him. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's got the American Independent Party, and we talked about Wallace a bit in our previous election uh, episode. But what you need to know about him is that he was pro-segregation, that he uh, was all about getting the Southern states to vote for him and cause there to be uh, an inconclusive vote in the Electoral College and thus making the House of Representatives uh, take care of electing the president. And it almost worked, um, which is
0: kind of interesting. If it weren't for those pesky kids.
1: <laughs> so it is interesting uh, in this in this era to see how things changed because um, back in 1948, um, Happy Chandler, a lot of us will remember that name. I'm from Kentucky and he's like the big name from the 20th century from Kentucky, but he was the commissioner of baseball. Um for for a season, not a baseball season, but a period of time. <laughs> <laughs> um, he was very supportive of the Dixiecrats back in in 1948, and by this time Chandler was not pro segregation. Uh, so you had some of these Southerners who uh, were at one time pro segregation, and now they're not. And Wallace was uh, eh, he was stuck back in time a little bit.
0: Yeah. So we also have a few other parties and other candidates. We'll mention them briefly here. Uh, we also had Eldridge Cleaver, and he was running for the Peace and Freedom Party. Interesting thing about Cleaver, he um, wasn't old enough to run. So <laughs> I don't know why he was. Maybe he just wanted, had something he wanted to say, which is great. He wanted uh, to be mentioned in he the would, podcast. Yeah, he wanted to be mentioned in the thing he didn't know is possible in technology. Uh, <laughs> he uh, he really had something to get out there, so he did. Yeah. And then we have Henning Bloman for the Socialist Labor Party, Fred Halstead for the Socialist Workers Party, E. Harold Munn for the Prohibition Party, which, come on, guys, aren't we past this now? We already passed like two amendments about it. And uh, Charlene Mitchell. And she's actually the first African-American woman to run for president. And she was running for the Communist Party. Very
1: fascinating. So really, the Nixon campaign was all about restoring law and order. You can imagine that in 1968 with the assassination of Martin Luther King, the assassination of Robert Kennedy, um the violence at the democratic national convention, which really wasn't isolated to Chicago. It was just, that was the big public event. There were riots going on all over the place. Um, Nixon was the guy who was going to restore order and Humphrey was the guy who was going to expand
0: LBJ's great society programs. Yeah. And Humphrey actually, after the convention, uh, he had trailed Nixon by double digits in almost every poll around. And nobody thinks he has a chance. I mean, come on. he He's he's just the vice president. Like, who votes for the vice president, right? <laughs> uh, the uh, Time Magazine said, the old Democratic coalition was disintegrating with untold numbers of blue-collar workers responding to Wallace, Wallace's blandishments. Negroes threatening to sit out the election, liberals dissatisfied, or I'm sorry, disaffected over the Vietnam War, And the South lost. And so everybody's calling like, okay, you've got everybody against you. You've got even the people who are supposed to be for you against you. And uh, Humphrey's like, okay, that's cool. I'm going to get it back. And I'm going to get away from Johnson. I'm going to take over this Democratic Party. And I'm going to attack Wallace as a racist because that will uh, show my position on things. And he also stops going by Vice President Hubert Humphrey. He says, I'm the Democratic candidate. I'm not just the Vice President anymore. So, call me that. And his momentum just, like, swings pretty heavily, really quickly there.
1: Yeah, by the time October comes around, Humphrey is, he's really taking charge of the traditional Democrat vote. Um, I don't want to just blow off the fact that Wallace was a genuine contender for the presidency. Um, he was, he had a lot of support, but all of this effort that Humphrey put into um, making Wallace look like a fringe candidate that he represented, those, those as you said, Ben, those dark um, parts of uh, America's past. Uh, Humphrey really took advantage of that and by the time October runs around, it's it's looking pretty good for Humphrey. Although Nixon is
0: still a bit of a powerhouse. Hey, Jason, do you want to go ahead and move on to talk about the election?
1: Yeah, it's crazy because it's really close. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, the networks did not call the election until the day after uh, the votes were cast, and the key states really were California, Ohio and Illinois. And Nixon took those and Humphrey didn't. Nixon um, was really complimentary to Humphrey because he knew what it was like to lose a close one. Um, Humphrey called him and said, uh, hey dude, you won. I
0: lost. Yeah. So we see this election as being a really realignment of politics, I guess you could say, in America. And I mean, we got 30 years of Democrats being the majority party. We've got Democrats winning most of the presidential elections during this time. They're really in a heavy rebuttal to the Eisenhower administration. The uh, election of 1968 flips it. And we don't want to give too much away, but for a while now after this, we're going to see kind of the almost exact opposite happening where... Republicans are kind of the more the mainstream and winning more of the elections and and seeing more things go their way.
1: Yeah, it's crazy because the popular vote, it was only by less than a percentage point. The electoral vote, though, 301 to 191.
0: So there you have it. Richard Milhouse Nixon as your president and Spiro Agnew as your vice president.
1: So, Ben, this has been a very long episode, but many people are going to remember this. And um, I'd love to hear your thoughts about the 1968 election. We are on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Election College.
0: And we would love it if you stopped over to iTunes to leave us a review and a star rating. We're really appreciating all those that we get. And uh, just want to say thanks. It helps people find out about the show. And it really helps us feel nice inside,
1: right? (laughs) Yeah. We'll see you next time. Thanks.